Hi, I'm Charles. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm going to pass around a picture because um, it's the best display of what I used to be like. Um, let's get the numbers. Well, you know what? Let's first talk about step one. Um, life being unmanageable. Um, so is my Palm Pilot. I tell you, I had the address of my Palm Pilot. And, you know, for some reason, this morning when I went to go get the address for this location, it wasn't in my Palm Pilot. Thank God for the Internet. You guys are listening to the Internet. So that's the reason why step one is coming up to step two and three, because... I was, uh, and then I guess obviously God says, no, you're supposed to be stepping, stuck at talking now at this hour. Anyway, um, numbers. Let's do the numbers so you folks kind of know that I qualify. My top weight is somewhere over 300 pounds, um, probably about 325, and I have 25 years of abstinence. So, um, <clears throat> and I get to talk about my life and being powerless over food. You know, um, the doctor's opinion talks about it the best, I think. The doctor's opinion more about compulsive overeating in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because in that book, it talks about the disease concept. And it talks about how we seek food because of the way it makes us feel. And I knew at an early childhood that fudgesicles just made life better. You know, the fudgesicles made life better. I come from an alcoholic family, and I, if you came from my family, you would have to find something. You know, other members of my family found heroin, other members of my family found food, other members of my family found uh, uh, drugs, I mean, alcohol. You just had to find something to make life bearable. And at an early age, I found fudge sickles, and fudge sickles just made life bearable. And after fudge sickles, I developed, I, I developed the knack or the taste for donuts. And I found donuts was a much better um, sedative than fudge sickles for some reason. Um, what happened was, um, I'll give you a little story about, about my eating career. So you know that I do qualify as a compulsive reader. I don't look like one today, by the grace of God. Um, you know, I haven't, I've been maintaining my weight basically this for the last 25 years. Um, what happened was I, obviously I, you know, look at those pictures. You can tell that I'm fat and miserable. I was just miserable, miserable, miserable. My, my I said my life consisted of the menage a trois, which was, um, food, TV, and me, you know, it was a lot of menage a trois because it got the job done. You know, I would go to school. Um, come home, clean the house, make the alcoholic family happy. That was my job, to try and make everyone happy. So I, w- I would clean the house, then help my mother with dinner, and then clean up the dishes after dinner, and of course turn the garbage disposal and eat the food as it was going down the garbage, as the garbage disposal was swirling around, and watch TV. And that consists my life. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I didn't have a whole lot of social life. I did not develop social skills because the, the, our literature says that because we ate over the pain of our lives, we didn't grow through the pain of our lives. And that was me. Because of the pain of my life, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up as a child. I was, I was childish, self-centered, in the extreme at 23 years old when you folks got me. So basically, since I'm 25 years old, I'm 25 years absent, I can't consider myself about 25 to 30 in age, chronological age. Because I've learned that if I'm binging, I don't learn anything. I learned Jack when I'm binging. All I learn is how to add more salt to something or how to, how to loosen up the belt. But I don't learn about my life. And I'm kind of controversial, but 
you know, I'm an old timer. 25 years, I get to be opinionated. So, you know, if you don't like my opinion, that's fine. Go talk to your sponsor. You know, <laughs> don't come talking to me because unless you got more than 25 years, uh, I'll maybe understand this. And when I say years of absence, I mean back to back, day in, day out of no of abstinence. And my absence for 25 years has been no flour and no sugar. So I can tell you for the past 25 years, I haven't had a donut. For the past 25 years, I haven't had um, my grandmother's love of Mrs. C's candy. I don't know if you know what... My grandmother was Mrs. C's in my head. She gave me the love, okay? Um, I know, I mean, it's been 25 years without a sandwich, you know? 25 years without, um, you know, wheat pasta. I don't do couscous or anything like that. And for the first 18 years of my absence, I only ate three meals a day, nothing in between. So uh, it can be done. If you're out there having issues with bread, you can go 25 years without bread. Trust me. Well, I can't. But with the grace of God, I can. You can't. But with the grace of God, you can. You know, and that's what's made, what's so wonderful is the grace of God is always there. The grace of God is always there. We don't have to, we don't do anything to deserve the grace of God. God's grace is just there for us. So we have to become good to become abstinent. We just ask God for the gift of abstinence. And we'll actually just say, okay, God, I will get me out of the way for the gift of abstinence. Because I believe that abstinence is there waiting for every one of us. All we have to do is say, okay, remove the human ego and let God's will come into my life. Anyway, I'm going to digress. I'm sorry, I've been kind of, I'm going to be a little scattered this morning because I just got off the freeway. Going like, okay, we're late. <laughs> anyway, um, where was it? Oh, okay. So, so, the, so I came into the program the first time when I was um, 17 years old in 1973. And for those of you doing the math, I'm 49 years old and I'm looking good for my age. Okay, so let's just get that back. <laughs> I know that. Thank you, by the way. That's to me the grace of the program. Um, I came in, and you folks talk about steps. So I didn't want to work the steps because they were for my sick alcoholic parents. But I took, um, and you talk about God, I didn't want to talk to you with God because I was raised religious, so I knew about God. He was all-powerful, omnipotent. I used to pray to God, I said, God, please, when I wake up, let me be thin. Please let me be thin. And I would wake up 300 pounds again. And I kind of got it that God was punishing me for what I had done. For all those horrible things I had done up to 17 years of age, he was punishing me. Um, and I believe there's two types of people on this planet. There were fats and there were thins. And occasionally a thin became a fat, but a fat never became a thin. So I'm here, I'm absolutely hopeless that I will ever maintain or achieve normal weight. And so when this, at my first meeting, this man got up and said he had lost 100 pounds. And I believed him. And it gave me hope. And by admitting that I was a compulsive overeater at that first meeting, I had hope because I had a solution. You know, by admitting I have a problem, then I can admit there's a solution. But if I, uh, before that, it was just, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Before, after that, it became, I'm a compulsive reader with a disease. With a disease. And there is a solution to the disease. Um, what happened was, um, the, um, I took a suggested food plan at the time, which is on a gray sheet of paper. And I lost about 125 pounds in about five months on this suggested food plan. Um, if you want to lose weight, ovaries and ovaries are one of the best places to lose weight. And you want to keep your weight off, it's one of the best places to lose weight. I got news for it. I, I don't care if it's controversial or not. This is a fabulous weight loss program. Fabulous weight loss program. It's about maintaining or achieving and maintaining our normal body weight. Now, we're, we just don't, the, what I did the first time around is I took the suggested food plan, but didn't work the program. 
so I didn't deal with the things that caused me to seek excess food. And what this program says is we have to deal with those things that cause us to seek excess food, to take the edge off, because that's what food does. Food takes the edge off. So I didn't deal with those things, and I didn't trust a God because he was an asshole, you know, because of all the things he was dumping on me. He made me fat. He gave me alcoholic parents because of all the horrible things I had done because I didn't live up to God's worth. So it was this vicious cycle where I was. It was so anyway, I got down to 175 pounds and uh, broke my absence in a sense. I, I basically left program because I didn't need you folks. You see, I'm let go away. I didn't need you folks. But since I didn't deal with those things that caused me to seek excess food, I wound up going back out again and putting on 75 pounds. Um, and then I discovered the wonderful world of fasting. Because, see, I, there's one thing that I've learned about the head full of program and a belly full of food. It gets me nowhere. So when I came to my meetings the first time around, because when I lost that 125 pounds in five months, I was going about a meeting a week just for moral support. You know, just, just to drop in and hear you folks go, yeah, you can be done. And I'm thinking, okay, it can be done. And I go out and not work a program. But I was visiting. You know what I mean? I was like a tourist. I was visiting and I got results. I got physical recovery, but none of the emotional or spiritual recovery that is so vital to maintaining this, the program. Um, so I, what happened was I discovered, that I found out if I didn't eat that, that first bite all day long, because you folks said, it's not the first bite that puts the weight on, I mean, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on, it's the first. So I didn't take the first bite all day long. So I was safe from food, you know, safe from that devil of food. So if you just don't take that first bite, you're safe. And that's the way I looked at it. I'm safe. Because as soon as I take that first bite, I'm off and running. I know I'm just off and running. I mean, that's compulsive overeater action. You can take, save from that bite, but as soon as you take that first bite. Anyway, um, what happened is I got down to about 160 pounds on what I call my donut diet, which is you don't eat anything all day long, except you eat nine or ten donuts at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, or 1 o'clock in the morning. And I never ate a dozen donuts, because if you eat a dozen donuts, it makes you a compulsive overeater. <laughs> but if you eat 9 or 10, you're not a compulsive overeater. So maybe you don't have those little rules, well, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. I mean, I, I, have pe- I know people in this program who, eat, who um, ate dog food. And I know that in the morning when they woke up, they didn't go, oh, for my afternoon snack, I'm going to have kibbles and bits. You know, no, that, but what happens is when there's that hole in your soul, that hole in your gut that you're trying to fill, you will eat anything and everything to fill that hole. And it has nothing to do with physical hunger. Because if we would stop eating when we were stopped being hungry, we wouldn't have this issue. But what happens is the more I get, the more fuller I get, the more I hate myself and the more I need to deal with these emotions of self-hatred. So I'll eat more. I am not normal. When it comes to food, I am not normal. I'm not a normal eater. I am a compulsive overeater. Um, what happened is um, I maintained my weight at about 160 pounds. My donut for about a year or two. Um, and uh, what happened was I was being fitted for um, some contact lenses. My prescriptions all over the board, all over the board. They just couldn't get my prescription right. And the, the eye doctor asked me, he said, Terrell, is there a history of hypoglycemia or diabetes in your family? And I said, well, yeah. My grandmother kind of died that way. Well, actually, they first started taking body parts, like her toes, and then her foot, and then her leg. And when they took her second leg, that's when she died. You know, bless her heart. But she's eating hard candies in bed while they're taking her body parts. Now, I'm not going to say that she's a compulsive overeater, 
But if they're taking your body parts from diabetes, you would think you would stop eating hard candy. But, you know, when, when does rational thinking have anything to do with us? Um, anyway, what happened was he asked me, I said yes, and he said, Terrell, are you eating sugar? And when you ask an impulsive eater about their food, what do you do? You lie. <laughs> you know, you just lie. I said just a little. Well, nine or ten donuts is not a lot of sugar. When I can eat a three-pound box of seeds candy, you know, and then you mix it with milk so you can keep the shakes down because, you, you know, if you eat too much seeds candy, you start shaking. Maybe you never get as sick as I do. But, I mean, I get there and start shaking um, with, with just two. So I, if I drink protein, you know, I learned, I learned how to balance it all. You know, not that I'm an addict or anything. You know, no. But, I mean, that's what, that's what we do. So he said, Terrell, if you don't stop eating sugar, be blind within a year. I then proceeded to put in 30 pounds in six weeks. And I was in traveling through Europe, and I was stuffing my face full of chocolate and pastries. And I remember thinking, I can still see. And when things start to go gray, that's when I'll stop. Insanity. I'm willing to sacrifice my eyesight for one more bite of chocolate. Just one more bite. Just one more bite of chocolate. Please... Okay, I'll do it tomorrow. Just one more bite of chocolate. I need this bite of chocolate. I, I don't care about my eyesight right now. I need this bite of chocolate. So maybe you're not as sick as I am. But that's where my disease took me. And I am powerless over food. You folks told me, never ever fight with food. Because as soon as I step in the ring with food, I've lost. I used to talk to food. When I was, you know, when I was doing my donut diet... I used to walk up to the donut counter and say, okay, donuts, you don't control me, because I'm thinking program here, you know, this whole thing about powerlessness. Donuts, you don't control me, I control you, because if you controlled me, you'd be eating me. <laughs> you know, I have since learned that normal people don't talk to food and have conversations with food about who's in control of the situation. But that's me. I'm talking to food about who's got the power here, baby. Okay, I got the power. I got the power, okay? You know, we don't, normal people don't do that. Maybe you never talked to food, but I did. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I have no choice but to be in a 12-step program. I made the decision 25 years ago that I, was, that I needed this program. I got, I, I, so I, after I got, after I just, 30-pound weight loss, in six, a 30-pound weight gain in six weeks, I came back to Overs Anonymous, desperate because I was so shamed about my weight. Came in, got a sponsor, had a spiritual experience. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I had a spiritual experience. And, and I, oh God. Sorry, I don't want to just walk the room that I've known for years. Um, I had a spiritual experience. Uh, where was I? Oh, I had to, I got to, I mean, I was working this program. I started sponsoring people. I, I was, was, you know, I was being sponsored. And I got really cocky. So I went to my sponsor and I said, you know, I'm sick and tired of going to Overeaters Anonymous. I'm sick and tired of going to these rooms full of fat-ass people talking about their problems. I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and cannot eat, when I can and cannot eat. I want to go live my life. On a, Saturday no on, a, uh, on a Friday night, I want to be out dancing with the boys in Palm Springs. I do not want to be sitting in some goddamn meeting. And my sponsor said some magic words to me. Because, I mean, I, I was leaving program. And he said, and I like to pass these on. He says, Terrell, remember, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. 
If you ever want to be, uh, come back, we'll be here. Now, we knew nothing about abandonment issues in, 1990, in 19, what was it, 1979. Nothing about abandonment. But we knew, he knew who I was. I was a compulsive overeater. And, of course, my response to him was, well, thank you for sharing, you know. <laughs> and I'm driving home to my spa, I'm driving back to my house going, okay, God, you and me, I'm going to eat what I want because I'm spiritual. I mean, so spiritual. God, we're going to do this. We're going to have fun. We're going to live my life. We're going to have a blast. Talking to God, just talking to God. Talk, not listening, but talking and telling God what I'm going to do and what we're going to do. Two weeks later, I wound up breaking my abstinence on uh, January 5th, 1979. On two pieces of toast. And that was my last binge. Two pieces of toast. Now, I know some of you might have had that for breakfast this morning. But I'm a hopelessly addicted to carbohydrates. I'm hopelessly addicted to bread. My, app, my food plan pretty much constitutes no carbohydrates, which means to me no, I, mean, I should say no starches, no potato, rice, or corn. Now, I eat that. It's not a break of abstinence. But I need to stay away from those foods because it makes me tired. It makes it more difficult for me to stop eating dinner. It makes me crave more of them. Now, I mean, that's what happens when I eat starches. Now, if I eat sugar, all bets are off. I don't care what the hell you think or what I think. I am a hopeless addict, and that's what the doctor opinion says, is that I can have the obsession of the mind, where I think about food all day long. But I, if I don't take that first bite, the physical addiction does not kick in. The compulsion is not there. I can think about donuts 24-7. But if I don't take the first bite, the compulsion or the physical addiction doesn't kick in. And when I take one bite of a donut, the physical addiction will kick in where I will want more. And you need to get out of my life now. Because I have no time in my life for you or your needs or what you think or what I want. It's, I mean, what, it's about, because it all becomes about me, and I want to go like, what about me and my needs? Okay, what about me and my needs? You're not taking me care, care of me well enough. I become this selfish, self-centered person when I'm binging. So when I had those two pieces of toast, I got very scared because you folks said the door will always swing out. But you will never know if the door will swing back in again. And for the second time, I had stepped outside and I was scared. And I said, God, I started praying and said, God, please, I cannot do it one more time. I cannot go out there one more time. God, please, please help me. And it had nothing to do with food, with weight gain. It had to do with the obsession, the self-hatred, the constant thinking about myself and what you think of me and how can I and all that stuff it just it, it was constant so I got abstinent this time on January 6th 1979 because I wanted the freedom that abstinence provides and that's what step one is about for me that says I can't I just can't. I did the best I could to stop eating. When, I'm, when you're underneath the lash of being blind, I'm putting on five pounds a week. Under the threat of being blind, I'm putting on five pounds a week. And I'm touring Europe, traveling Europe, which means I'm not sitting in front of my TV. I'm moving my body, putting on... Five, so I qualify in that area. Underneath the, the admitting that my life is unmanageable, because, see, classic example this morning. 
I got up at 9, 8, 20, had coffee with my friends, got in the car to drive over here, click on my palm, no address. Life is unmanageable. Okay, God, I guess you're not supposed to want me here at, one, at 10 o'clock. Because obviously, it's not my palm, it's nothing I did out of my will. So I admit that my life is unmanageable. Um, one thing that I, one of my best, one of my favorite prayers of all time that I just love this prayer, and I'll pass it on to you. And it's, oh God, whatever. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And when I say that prayer, oh God, whatever, it means whatever. Right now, I own my own business. Um, I'm very successful in my business. I travel around the country with my business. And if you have told me 10 years ago this is what I was going to be doing with my life, I'd look at you and go, yeah, right. <laughs> Dream on. It, <laughs> not even in the industry. Why would I even be, you know? But God has greater store, things in store for me. And I know I'm kind of talking a lot about the different steps. It's hard to just talk about one step because it's about everything. Um, I want to share one of the reasons why I think I have long-term abstinence. One, I breathe. Two, um, I, when I was about five years abstinent, um, I, got, I got sick with hepatitis, and I went through all my savings, and I was winding up um, basically living on handouts from people in program, because I, I didn't have any money, and it, the people would show up from, from program just show up at my doorstep with bags of groceries and said, here. And I was too sick to work, and, and I'd take the groceries, and I got well enough to go to meetings. They would pick me up and take me to meetings. And afterwards, they'd say, Terrell, we're going to go to dinner afterwards. Do you want to join us? And I go, well, I don't have any money, so I can't. I guess I don't get emotional about this part. Um, and they, and I, and, uh, they said, that's not what we asked you, if you could afford to go to dinner. We asked you, do you want to join us for dinner? So I go to dinner. So you folks took care of me while I was too sick to take care of myself physically. The, what, ha- what happened was I finally got well enough to get, to get taken care of, to go to work. And I got a job as a waiter, which is not what I was doing before. But I need immediate cash. And I ran out of gas and had no money for gas. And I had to call a baby. Now, I'm the sponsor. I had to call this baby for help to come pick me up and bring me a can of gas. Now, my ego is dying. Because see, I'm the sponsor. Maybe you don't have this yet. You know, we're on the sponsor and you're the baby and I'm the hot shit and you're not. You know, maybe you didn't have that sickness. You know, I'm the guru and you have to, you know, and I can't show my weaknesses and stuff. Maybe you don't have that. But if you're under 10 years of abstinence, I assure you, you're sick and you have it. I, I believe everyone under less than 10 years of, ab- of abstinence is a newcomer and you can't even argue the point with me. You're 10 years or less of abstinence, day in, back-to-back abstinence, you're a friggin' newcomer, okay? Um, and just wait, when you get over 10 years, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Especially in that, like, around the seven-year time. Bless your heart, baby, I'm just reading, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> and all I can say is it gets better, and I'm not lying. After 10, you will fly. After 10, you will fly. Anyway, there are my five years' absence. I mean, following my sponsee home because she's going to make me dinner, because I had no money for dinner, because she put money and gas in my car, just crying and going like, God, I don't get this. I don't understand, God, what this is about. But I make a commitment to you, God. I will abstain to get to the other side so I can find out what this is all about. 
And what I've learned now is that I now know what that was about. I now have compassion and understanding for anyone. Because I don't care who you are. I was taken care of when I didn't, when, and now I get to take care of you. It's, re- it's reciprocated tenfold. Driving up to San Francisco to speak for one hour. I know it's glamorous, very glamorous, yeah. Yo, that's okay, I can have a great time in Los Angeles. But anyway, um, that when I, but when I made that commitment that no matter what, I will abstain. Come hell or high water, I will abstain. And if that means I have to walk around the house shaking it off, and maybe you've never walked around the house just shaking your hands like this, going, I will not eat right now, I will not eat right now, I will not eat right now. And just, just walk and shake and walk and shake because you want to eat so friggin' bad. You just want to eat so friggin' bad that you can, you can taste it, you can feel it. And you want to get rid of the pain that's inside. And you know that if you take one bite, it'll take, get rid of the pain for that one moment. But I got news for you. The 12 and 12 says food is a rapacious creditor. And it will take care of you right here, right now. But you cannot eat forever. Sooner or later, you will stop the binge. And you will deal with the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that I have learned about in this program. That I have learned from my own experiences, how I hate myself so much I want to kill myself. Where I want to die because I hate what I did just binged over or because I just ate. And that's what this program says is, baby, you never, ever have to binge again. You know, I don't care what you've done up to this point. Your past is not your potential. That there is no God in heaven that says, okay, that person can say it, get abstinent, but that person can't. And that person, oh, forget it, they'll never get abstinent. That's what this program says. This program, when I walked in and I was broken, believe me, I was broken. 30 pounds in six weeks, it's not because I like food or because I was hungry. It was because I was trying to fill a hole. I hated myself so much that I didn't care enough about my eyesight. That I'd rather have a bite of chocolate than my eyesight. And when you folks came in and said, you never, ever have to binge again. Never, ever have to binge again. And, I, and you folks, I believed Because you gave me that glimmer of hope that you never, ever have to binge again. And when I realized that I can be free, because you said I can become joyous, happy, and free. And that means that I have to worry about what I ate last night, what I ate this morning, what I'm going to eat in two hours from now. How can I get my fix that I can be free from that? And you folks promised that to me. And when I came in, you folks said, to eat is to die. And I said, oh, no. And they said, no, to eat is to die. And I went, you don't get it. I just got done binging. I'm not dead. And they said, to eat is to die. And I now know what they mean. To eat is to die. I, when I pick up that bite of German chocolate cake, Consciously put that bite of German chocolate cake in my mouth, right? If I did that today, I'm saying, screw you. I'm looking at God and saying, get the hell out of my life. I don't need you, God. I don't want you anywhere near my life. I don't trust that you will take care of me. That I believe this this German chocolate cake will take care of me more than you can. And you, so you folks said, 
No, to eat is to die. And when I take that bite, I kill terror. I kill my spirit. And then the body is just walking around waiting to be buried. And what's happened is with this program is you folks have made me, have given me back who I am. This program is because of admitting that I am sick, admitting that I'm a compulsive overeater, that I have a problem. And yes, 25 years of no binging, you would think I would get it right, you know, like maybe I didn't need this program. No, I need this program today just as much. Came over here today because I'm thinking, well, I've already missed my speaking engagement. That's okay, I'll go sit and listen to Marathon, you know? Because I take out insurance policy. I might not need a meeting today, because I'm in good shape, but tomorrow I don't know about. And I have learned that I can bank meetings. That if I bank a lot of meetings, it will get me through those rough spots. But if I don't have enough meetings banked, then I can't get through those rough spots. Now, I don't know exactly what that level of bank is, so I keep banking meetings. You know? It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm getting a little long. No. I just keep banking meetings. And that's what day in of back-to-back abstinence gives us. It gives me clarity of mind. It gives me freedom. And if, you're, if you came in this room not abstinent, guess what? That's not true anymore. You're now abstinent. Everyone in this room is now abstinent right here, right now. Now, either you can go with God or go with the human ego. The human ego say, but I'm not worthy. I'm not like him. I'm different. I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'll look at you and go, after 25 years, believe me, I've heard it all. And none of us is different. When I came in 25 years ago, you don't understand, I'm a young gay male who just doesn't want to fit into Overeaters Anonymous. What a joke. But anyway, I was this young gay male that wouldn't fit into Overeaters Anonymous, and I, you know, it was all housewives, and I don't really like getting this God thing, and mop. I had all those reasons why it didn't work for me. But you folks said, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Sit down, shut up, and listen. You would say that we need to be brainwashed in here. Thank God, because my brain was out to get me. And that's what the whole second part of the first step is. It says my life is unmanageable. And I love in our OA 12 and 12, where it says the computer doesn't work. You know, it's like, yeah, this one's like sign my life being unmanageable. My computer doesn't work. I work in computers. And all the times computers don't work. But that's okay where I go, okay, God, whatever. Help me with this. So by taking the first step and saying, I can't. I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for you. I don't have a clue about food. That my best thinking gets me to 325 pounds. When I make that decision and say, okay, I'm broken. I need help. And then I'm willing to be humbled enough to learn. And at 25 years of absence, I'm still humbled by the fact. And I got news for you. 25 years, to me, is kind of a big deal. I just think it's like a lot of years. And I, I love this because when I was five years absent, I took a five-year candle and I said, you know, I got this five-year candle, but there ain't no way in hell I'm getting another five years. No way in hell I'm getting another five years. Well, of course, I wasn't living right here, right now. So right here, right now, just for today, I put 25 years together. But it wasn't because I tried to get 25 years. 
It was just because I walked around the room shaking it off, going, I won't eat right now. I won't. They say it will get better. They say it will get better. And as an old-timer, I'm telling you, I am not lying. It gets so much better. So much better. One of the nice things that happens with, with time is the brain starts to go quiet. You know, where it just doesn't yap at you all the time. And you can't get that unless you have a day upon day upon day. And you can't get those days unless you go, I am powerless. Thanks for letting me share.